As you take your seats, I'm going to share with you a passage of Scripture today, and I know that uh, we're in Christmas. One of the interesting challenges of Christmas and, uh, and even Easter, those two holidays, or other days on the liturgical calendar like Pentecost, the topic never changes. <laughs> it's the same thing. So it's always interesting trying to, trying to see different angles and, and ways to speak about something. So I'm going to share a very familiar passage. This is a passage that you would expect to hear. It's Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. You'll see it on the screen. It's a little lengthier, but it's important. It says this, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger." because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So as I mentioned, it's interesting always trying to find new ways to present the same material. And uh, as I was praying over this particular passage and the topic of love, which is kind of the theme of today's Advent uh, message, I felt like God was leading me to um, something that's not really talked about much in the Christmas story. Now, I say that, um, and, and I do, I do believe God led me to this. Um, I'm not the most demonstrative person in the world. Uh, in other words, you know, um, how do I say this? If I'm not looking to blame God for every idea that I have <laughs> or say, well, the Holy Spirit told me when maybe it was just my, like, if all of a sudden one of these candles went out, I w I'm not the guy that's going to be like, wait, God's, God's sending us a message. Maybe it's to turn the fan off. I, you know, that, that's me, okay? Yeah, and I know that sounds really like, okay, you're kind of a lame-o, but uh, that, that's, I'm just not looking to blame God for all of my ideas, and so when I say something like, I really feel like the Lord led me to something, uh, that, that means something. I, I really kind of feel like God was sharing something with me in this. And uh, this passage mentions someone that we don't talk about too much during the Christmas season. Uh, this person is not Mary. This person is not Joseph. This isn't Jesus. This is 
This is somebody who plays what first appears just to be a bit part because they're mentioned, but their role is extremely important, and I think it's good for us to wrestle with this uh, here in the 21st century as people who are seeking to follow Jesus. Um, Because if, and we talked about this every week, if Advent is about preparing and hope for when Jesus, the source of our hope, comes again, we're in a second Advent right now. We celebrate this first Advent preparing for the birth of a Savior, but that's something that's happened. We're also in this second Advent because Jesus promises to come again, to come again. So we're in a preparation phase, and we're preparing in hope for what Jesus, for when Jesus, the source of hope, comes again. If that's the case, sometimes then I think it's good for us to be reminded that sometimes we're fickle people. Uh, In other words, man, I really like this this day, but then if that doesn't do anything for me, I just go to the next. We, we change our minds often. We change our loyalties and our allegiances to things often. Uh, we pick and choose a lot of teams. People are just fickle. We're fickle. I think one of the things that exacerbates that, that makes it worse sometimes, is when we place our hope in certain things. And when that doesn't deliver for us or... Um, or just doesn't happen fast enough, like, hey man, I'm, I'm putting my hope, I'm putting my stock into this thing, but if it's not happening, if it's not doing it for me, it's, it's not hard for us to change our allegiance. It's, it, well, all right, that's not doing it, I'm gonna put my hope over here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hope in this to bring me what I'm looking for in that. So it's, it's very easy for us to, to do that sometimes. And it's good to remember that I think in our brokenness as people, in our struggle as humanity, um, that sometimes we, give in, I think it's okay to admit this, to the temptation to seek ulterior sources for hope. Instead of the true place we need to go to for hope, sometimes we settle for counterfeits or things that maybe promise, but in the end are not going to deliver, which leads to the person that this story is, it's not talked about very much in in the Christmas narrative, but that person is so very present, actually, in the whole thing, and that person's name is Caesar, Caesar Augustus. Um, It's good to remember that our Caesars are insufficient. No matter how much attention that they're given, no matter how much they promise, no no matter how much they say, our Caesars are insufficient to meet us where we are, and provide what we need. And all around us, there are contemporary Caesars. Uh, There are men and women who believe that the sun rises and sets on their decisions uh, and preferences. Some of those Caesars are great in their own eyes. Uh, Some of them are great in the eyes of others. Um, And it's, it's really not difficult to identify the Caesars in our world today. The Caesars in our world today are the takers. They're the ones who center themselves. Everything that takes place, everything that they, they say, everything that they move around, all of these different things find orbit around them. They command orbit, and they are at the center. All things exist to serve them and their desires and their needs and their preferences. That's a Caesar, okay? The things that they want, the things that they pursue uh, or feel like they need begin to get drawn into them, almost like they have a gravitational pull. So... 
When all of a sudden you've centered yourself and everything is commanded to be in orbit around you and you have this gravitational pull towards you as a Caesar, anytime that that gravitational pull is interrupted, anytime something slips in the way, Caesars usually freak out. They usually react really, really poorly. And Caesars have a lot of enemies, yet they themselves would say they're never an enemy. They're never an enemy, but they have a lot of enemies. And while we point to all the Caesars in the world today that you and I can identify, the unfortunate and inconvenient truth is, as we're pointing out those Caesars, there's these three unfortunate fingers pointing right back at us. Because sometimes we fall into the temptation of being Caesars. I mean, let's just be honest. Aren't your ideas the best ideas? Okay. Where should we have Christmas this year? What should we have for dinner? Should we go? Should we not go? Should we do this? Should we do that? Your ideas are the best, right? Everybody else's ideas, not so much. Not so much. You should win that argument, right? I mean, or am I the only sinner in the room? I, I, I think that I speak maybe for all of us. I will speak for all of us. How about that? <laughs> your preferences are the, most, are the best preferences, right? Your wants, your desires, those are the most important ones at any given moment on any given day. We all have a tendency to center ourselves. We all have a tendency to want to command orbit around us and what we like and what we don't like and what we want to see happen and all these kinds of different things. So it's really inconvenient that those three other fingers point right back at us. Right back at us. It's good to remember, again, that our Caesars, including us, are insufficient no matter how much attention that they're given. Great in our own eyes. It's good to be king. It's good to be king. Yet, oh, here's what I want you to see. Caesar, in the, the Christmas narrative, he's not really in charge. Whether he or she lives in the White House, and this goes for today too, uh, has a seat in the Senate, has manager or leader or pastor on their door, they're not in charge. I'm not in charge. You're not in charge. Caesar is not in charge. God is. God is. And what that means is this. It looks different than you and I would assume it should. What does this have to do with love? We're getting there. This looks different than we think it should look. Then the world tells us, Paul tells us in in Romans, that we're no longer to be conformed to the pattern of this world, we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And the pattern of this world is division, the pattern of this world is power, is clamoring for position, influence, orbiting things around yourself. That's the pattern of this world. He says, no, you're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of your minds. You're no longer the center. That's a tough one. You're no longer the center. But here's the, here's the truth. There is no power in humanity. There is no power in you and there's no power in me that can change the world. There's a lot of good things that we can do. A lot of good things. But it begins with a changed heart. The world changes through changed hearts. I can't change your heart. You can't change my heart. We can't change anybody's heart. It only changes by the love of God. Listen very closely. In Jesus, love changed everything. Absolutely everything. And the first thing is, and again, this flips this totally upside down. 
is the idea of power. Love changes the world and gives us, as followers of Jesus, power. But it's, a, it's an interesting kind of a power. And you see this in verse 11, you see it in verse 14. Caesar looks really powerful in this story. It opens up with Caesar. Caesar makes a command. He says, we're going to count all the people that are under my rule, under my reign. I think it's really interesting. Caesar wants to do a count of everybody in the world. <laughs> like, they hadn't been everywhere in the world, but according to Caesar, everything was his. He was God. And there were people that treated him as God. He presented himself as the son of God. Caesar did. Okay, so when Caesar said jump, you said how high? And that's exactly what happened. Uh, one of those who jumped really, really high was Joseph, the one who was betrothed to Mary. So he jumped so high, he was willing to put his pregnant betrothed wife on a donkey and march her across the wilderness to the next town over. I mean, he's willing to travel with his wife, okay, to obey Caesar. But in the face of this command from Caesar, there's another announcement that happens. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. That announcement follows the announcement of the birth of the real king. There was another announcement, the Messiah, Jesus. Caesar thinks that he's displaying power, jump, and everybody says how high. But the shepherds of all people, the shepherds, are the ones that not just see power, but then receive power. And we're going to get to that here in a second. Listen, 21st century Caesars may still have a form of power, but God has given a power of humility to those who follow Jesus. If you profess a faith in Jesus Christ today, you are citizens of a different kingdom with a different set of expectations, a different set of rules. We don't play by the rules of this kingdom. We serve a different master. We serve a different Lord. Um, Caesar could create laws. He could hand down dictates, punishments. He could do anything. God sets us free from the law of sin and death. He doesn't create more laws for us. He sets us free from the law of sin and death. The love of God and the birth of Jesus Christ absolutely changed everything. It changed the world. How do we know that? Well, first of all, think about it. God uses this completely, completely powerless, poor, nobody, teenage girl to do this thing. And, what, and, and this is no disrespect for Mary because it's absolutely amazing that Mary was chosen to, to bear the Savior of the world. Mary literally in, in the billions of people who have lived on this planet and who currently live on this planet would have gone down in history as one of those billions of people nobody remembers for anything ever. Ever. She would never have gotten retweeted. She never, she, she would be a nobody. And yet God chose this minuscule teenage girl in the backside of nowhere to do this thing through. And that's, to me, absolutely amazing. That's pointing to humility. That's pointing to the lowly, to the meek, and saying, we're about to elevate those people. We're about to provide power to those. God uses a powerless woman to bring forth a Savior. The love of God, the love of God through Jesus Christ gives us power 
to humility. But it also gives us purpose. Let me tell you, one of the most amazing things that happens for a pastor is when all of a sudden you have like these several points and they all start with the same letter. I know. I mean, there, there are things that people get really excited about. That's one of those things every once in a while that happens. And I'm just like, not bad, not bad, not bad. But here's the truth. Love changes the world and gives us power, but it also gives us purpose. I think this one's really, really cool. It's verses 18 and verse 20 in this story. Caesar thought that he was doing a work that was going to last, at least for a while. So Luke, Luke tells us that this is the first census that's being taken since this one guy is now governor in, in Syria. So there, that means there's more. So Caesar makes it a habit of doing these censuses. He makes it a habit of surveying everything that is in his reign that he's placed himself at the center of. He makes it a habit of counting how many people. So they conquer a new land. Uh, they, they have a bunch of people born. They have people migrate in, all kinds of different things. It's really habitual, and Caesar makes it a practice to do this. I'm going to count how many people I rule over, how many people are under me. So as the empire grew, more numbers needed to be taken. I wonder why he would do that. Why would you need to count how many people you rule? Maybe, and this is just me, maybe to figure out how big your budget can be next year after you tax all these people. It's about money, baby. I mean, it always is. It always is. Now, this is a really, really big deal. Because if, if this is that important to Caesar, it means that the people that have been commissioned to go out and to do these counts and to take an assessment of all that Caesar has in his domain, these people have a pretty important job. I mean, they're doing God's bidding in that moment. Again, Caesar was considered to be a God. He proclaimed himself, presented himself as a God. God has called them to this task. So them going around to the villages, to the towns, to the cities, everywhere under Roman rule, and going out and finding out what the resources were at the disposal of their God and king, that was a pretty important work of the empire. You would think that major announcements would go to them and through them, and that's not what happened. Instead, it was smelly, homeless, other side of the tracks, shepherds. That's who the message went to. These are the people who get the announcement of the birth of a king. They probably couldn't read. They probably couldn't write. And when they saw what was proclaimed, and, and if you follow the, the process of the shepherds, they see the star, they hear the angel, they go, hey, let's go check this out. They go check it out. They're like, hey, this angel told us, and here we are. Next thing you know, they go shouting about it. They go talking about it. They, they share with other people everything that is going on. It says they worship. They go worshiping. This is amazing to me. Now, here's what that means. Those shepherds went back to tending sheep. I, it doesn't tell us what the shepherds did after this whole, after you put the nativity back in the box and you put it under your stairs. We don't know what the shepherds did after that, but I'm going to guess they really didn't have many options, so they probably went back to tending sheep. And they weren't even tending their own sheep. These are other people's sheep, Okay. So that's probably exactly what they went back to. But I want you to listen very closely. Their vocation had changed. Their purpose had changed. 
they no longer, and I hesitate to use this word because it seems like it minimizes people's jobs and stuff, they no longer just were shepherds. No, they were priests. They were prophets. Shepherding was a vehicle at that point for them to be able to worship. Shepherding was a vehicle for them to be able to point to God, to be able to share what they'd seen with others. That changes things, doesn't it? Your purpose, if you're a teacher in this room, and, and again, I, I'm married to a teacher, so my, my wife's primary vocation is not teaching. My wife's primary vocation is priest. Priestess. That sounds a little bit more like fancy. <laughs> Prophet. Worshiper. That's her primary vocation. Teaching is a vehicle so that that is done before others and leading other people to Christ. If you go into, if you're a truck driver today, that is not your primary vocation. If you, if you work at the steel mill, your primary vocation is not removing the slag off the top. I, I don't even know what I'm talking about. I pretend like I do, but the word slag sounds tough. So uh, you're... Your primary vocation isn't removing the slag right from, from off the top of all this molten steel. Okay? Your primary vocation in the steel mill is priest, is prophet. You're a messenger. You're a messenger. That is your primary vocation. You've got a new purpose. So these shepherds, they're not merely shepherds, as important as that task is. They're priests leading worship of the people. They're prophets speaking truth to the people of what they've seen, what they've experienced, what they know. And so are you. How do you feel about that? There's a guy, C.S. Lewis. Maybe you've heard of him. He, um, he wrote about the nature of humility once, and uh, I think this is really good. He said this, the Christian life is to play great parts without pride. The Christian life is to play great parts without pride and small parts without shame. Without shame. It's because our vocation is the same. It's a level playing field. We're prophets, we're priests, we're worshipers, we're messengers. The love of God in the birth of Jesus changed the world. Because in those days, the decree of Caesar went out to all the world so that he could take from them. He could take from us. In these days, the decree of God goes out into all the world so that we can partake in him. That's the message that you and I have, that the world now can partake in him. The love of God and the birth of Jesus changed everything. It's changed the world. It's given us purpose to proclaim his love as priest to the world regardless of our position, regardless of your title, your heritage, your background, regardless of anything else. And then rounding out the preacher trifecta with another P word, <laughs> we get to ponder some things. The love of God causes us the ability to ponder. We, we're allowed to ponder. Now, the word ponder is really important. And I, I chose this for a reason, not just because it's in Scripture, but because we're going to talk about this again next Sunday morning in the Christmas service. The word ponder is an important word. Caesar's decree 
that he's giving, this counting of people. And again, he's sending all these people out to survey all that is his. He's going to gain information from that, and that information is going to be used to prop himself up more. It's going to be used to his advantage. Okay, there's a territory I can consume right now. Or here's a group of people I need to work on to get them on my agenda over here. And here's this and here. He's going to use all of this information to do what? Not just center himself, but elevate himself that much more. The whole realm that he reigns over will have been counted and the details would be arranged to enable Caesar to continue his reign of power. Anything less than, than, than the continuation of his dominance was going to be unacceptable. That's how much power and influence he had. But this advent that you and I are in right now that we've been in this month, as recent as last week when, when Pastor Ben shared the message of Mary's song, the Magnificat, uh, where Mary is so overwhelmed with joy, overwhelmed with the idea that she's been involved. She's, she is being, being chosen to play this role in the history of the world, the history of God's redemptive plan for all of us, that she's the one, and all of a sudden, just joy just bursts out, and she, she bursts forth in song. And she sings about the high places being brought low, those in power being brought low. She sings all of these different things. The mighty arm of the Lord was going to bring down the arrogant. She sings that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how, what it sounded like. I don't know what the melody would have been. But, but again, I'll say it. The mighty arm of the Lord will bring down the arrogant. This is her song, that she's overjoyed, that, that she's a part of all of this. The judgment is in, is basically what's going on. Pride and purpose was actually in that moment given to the lowly. Power was given to the powerless in this moment. And you have to think about that. You have to think about the ramifications. You have to ponder, what does that mean? What does that mean for people like you and I? Because you and I, have been entrusted with the story of Jesus. It is up to us now to ponder, to stop, okay? To stop. <laughs> and, and just for a second, maybe we do what I said I did at the beginning. All right, Lord, what do you need to say to me? What do you want to say? And ponder to make sense of our world that we find ourselves in. Instead of <laughs> reacting all the time, And then doing it again and again. Instead of, instead of reacting, what would happen if we stopped and prayed and pondered? See that the battles that we have are not against flesh and blood. They're spiritual battles. These are spiritual battles. Fought first in prayer. First, in prayer. Not on social media. <laughs> not on the phone. Not through a text. First, in prayer. In those days, it was Caesar who was pondering his empire to see his vast rule. But in these days, it's God in Christ empowering you and I to ponder the world 
as his partners in mission. What does it look like for us to embody the mission? Not mission is something that we do or we'll participate in when it's convenient, but what does it mean for us to live in mission? Everybody say embody mission. Try it again. We're going to talk a lot about that this next year. What does it look like for me not just to go to church, but be the church? What does it look like for you to live that way? Because here's the truth. The love that is expressed through the nativity, the love that is expressed through God with us causes us to have to do something. You have, you have to do something with this. So can I just give you something to ponder as we close this out? Um, this is a reading, and you know some people think it's corny, I'm sure, but I really like it. Uh, it's, it's attributed to a guy named James Allen Francis. I don't know if he actually wrote this, and I'm sure some of you have heard this before, but this is that love. This is that power and humility and meekness, but um, here's what it says. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up still in another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never owned a house. He didn't go to college. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of these things one usually associates with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. When he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man on earth as much as that one solitary life. And he did it through love. Love and truth. Jesus Christ was full of grace and truth. Again, there's so much of me that wants to be so active in changing things, but I, I, I'm coming to recognize more and more. I, I just literally have no ability to change anything. <laughs> um, I can't change people. Uh, you can't either. I can't change people's hearts. Uh, all I can do is be as faithful as I can to decenter myself and allow the Holy Spirit to occupy that place so that when I speak, or when I share, or when I go, it's not me people here, it's God. I'm not saying I'm God, I'm decentered. I don't want people to hear me. I want people to experience the, the God promised to the shepherds, to the Savior that was birthed through a nobody Mary, because that's where change happens.
There is no power in us. There is no power in humanity that can bring about the change that is necessary because that change has got to begin in people's hearts. It's got to begin in people's hearts. It only changes through the love of God that has been shown to people. And in Jesus Christ, love changed absolutely everything. Everything. And so as we march into Christmas week, uh, it is amazing to me how much we cram in to, <laughs> to the weeks leading up to Christmas. Are y'all tired? I'm kind of tired. I'm energized, though. I'm excited because I love this. But man, in the next week, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if God brings somebody across your path who needs a little peace, needs some hope, joy, who needs some love. Be the conduits of that grace. You will not regret it. God can do amazing things when the, the soil has been tilled up with love. He does the amazing things. He brings the change. Let's just put ourselves in places to see it. Sound like a plan? So as we march into Christmas, my prayer for you is that you'd experience the fullness of God in your life fully this week. Uh, before I have you stand, I want to share with you a kind of exciting announcement. Uh, most of you know uh, we're in, in the process of a couple staff changes and different things that are going on in the life of the church, and uh, excited to share with you. We've, I've been in many conversations with multiple individuals in regards to a next-gen pastor. So let me address a couple things really quick before we're done. A next-gen pastor, which sounds really super fancy and complicated, that is somebody who oversees ministry and works with teams of people from birth through high school. And uh, I understand traditionally, uh, there's been a lot of times even in the history of this church where you would hire a children's pastor, there you hire a youth pastor, then you would hire this pastor, that pastor, that pastor. Uh, we've found ourselves in a unique situation in the life of our church right now. Coming out of COVID, coming through large pastoral transition times, all kinds of different things. Uh, from a fiscal perspective, there's a couple of convictions that I have. Uh, if I'm going to ask somebody to be on staff, if I'm going to ask somebody to reorient their lives, including their family, move, relocate, all of those different things, I personally have a hard time not taking responsibility for their well-being. And I feel like we as a church need to have that conscientiousness about us as well. From a financial perspective, this is the next step for where we are in the life of our church. Um, we're doing okay financially. I don't want you to panic, but I also do not act on presumption. I will not presume upon God where we think we will be a year from now financially. Um, I do believe that there are moments of taking steps of faith, but I also believe God puts in our minds good stewardship habits as well. And I'm, whether you or I like it or not, I am the lead steward in this church. And uh, I have a responsibility to care for those that have been put underneath me. And I intend to do that well. That being said, we're entering into a season where that staff position will oversee everything from birth through high school. And that'll be a full-time position. I've, uh, and, and even if you've never heard of a next-gen pastor, they do exist. Uh, somebody told me like they're unicorns out there. You just have to find them. Um, I've actually talked to, to a number of them. And uh, in that process and in that search, God sometimes shows you what's under your nose uh, there's an individual, his name is Travis, 
Travis is somebody who I've mentored over the years, even when I was pastoring in Wisconsin, and I've actually recommended Travis to other churches this last year, <laughs> um, which is funny. But uh, Travis has been a children's pastor before. He's been a youth pastor before. He's currently a lead pastor. Yet when I called him and said, hey, can you and I have a conversation? And I shared with him who we are. Who we are. Um, he said, okay, let's talk. And so um, in all the conversations, Travis is the one who we brought here last weekend. He did an on-site visit. He was here for a few days. Met with some different leadership teams. Met with the students met some children, uh, all that kind of different stuff. And I'm happy to tell you that on Tuesday, uh, Travis Jackson, I think his picture's on the screen here. Travis Jackson uh, said that uh, he would, he believes God wants him here. So we're excited. And I'm sure he's going to watch this. So would you do me a favor and just thank him and just give him a hand for being Travis? <laughs> Travis is married to Stacy, and they've got Cooper and Davis right there who might, it, Cooper and Davis... I mean, I love children, Cooper and Davis, and even Island Parker, Ben's kids, remind us that it'd be okay if we had a few more years before we have grandkids. <laughs> we're, we're really tired right now, and uh, uh, I'm glad for your kids. I'm glad for Travis's kids, but uh, uh, yeah, they're your kids. They're not mine. <laughs> I'm just I got a handful enough with mine, so no, I'm just kidding. I'm really tired, so I'm going to stop talking here in a moment, but... So when Travis transitions here, uh, it's going to be uh, mid to late January. In the mix of all of this stuff, and I, you know, I'm sharing this just so you can pray, uh, you're stuck with Shelly and I for a while because we just went and bought a house this week. So we're no longer living in, right. So the church owns a couple of parsonages, church-owned houses. So we're moving out of that so there's a place for them to live. And as much as they said, we're, we'll live in your basement you can have the whole thing. So uh, we, we went and, and uh, so you can pray for the closing on all of that and different things like that. There's a lot. So you're stuck with us. I mean, uh, we just went and bought a house. So um, we're here whether you want it or not. But a uh, uh, lot of different things going on, a lot of moving pieces. You can pray for worship. We're still kind of hunting around and, and doing things. As you can imagine, nobody is answering the phone right now uh, the week before Christmas. But uh, you can just keep praying and God's doing some, some new things and some exciting things. Um, even just had a conversation with somebody between the two services who uh, filled out a next steps card and they didn't know which next steps, so they just marked them all. And uh, that's exciting to see when God breathes some life into to what's going on and, and we're excited for you to be a part of it. So thank you guys. Thank you. Would you guys stand and uh, let me pray for us? Father, we just thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the opportunities that we have um, not just to experience peace and love and joy and hope, but be conduits of that to those that are around us. And I know, I just know that you're going to bring people across our paths this week who need that. And I also know that there are people in this room right now and watching online who are struggling um, when circumstances rob us of joy, when it feels like the rug's been pulled out from underneath of us and we feel unstable. We don't know how to have hope when we can't see the backside of situations. So I pray for your comfort right now. I pray for your peace in the midst of chaos for them right now. And may we as the church rally around people who are struggling right now with hope and joy and peace and love. Help us to wrap our arms around those around us. 
Help us to support one another, to bear one another's burdens, to pray for one another. And Father, as we do this, we pray that you and you alone would be glorified. It is in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Hopefully we'll see you next Saturday and next Sunday.